Hello there, welcome to Jed Banger's Ball. I am your host, Jed Mayhew. Oh, I'm fucking hungover today. And uh and shopping for uh shopping for props for uh Zigzag's uh band photo. It's it's time for a new uh new band photo. Got a new bass player. We mentioned that before. Uh Sean Hoffman is on bass now and he, he's uh he's been there since the beginning, uh really. And he he's the one that fucking edits all these podcasts together. He edits the intro and then uh and throws the music in there and then uh and then splices it together with the interview and he, he actually has an interview too on here. I can't remember what episode it is, but uh you know, he does a lot of music and stuff for TV and film and stuff like that and video games. So we talked about that, but he's been recording the band since the get go. And I think I've already said this on here, but, uh, we're doing our first, like, kind of real, not real, but it, we are doing a little tour here. Um, and it's, you know, over, over four days long or whatever, you know, uh, that's real to me. Uh, but Jesus Christ, I can't drink beer anymore. It's like, it, it just, this, uh, Alpine Beer Company. Makes the most goddamn delicious beer in the world, but uh, beer just fucks me up these days. So I'm gonna go out here in a bit and uh, get a bottle of gin. Uh, and yeah, I fucking woke up in the middle of the night. There's some dog barking in the neighborhood, and uh, I love uh, I love these dogs, but I don't I don't know these fucking assholes who let their dog bark all night long at three in the morning. I I don't get it. We live in like some sort of like weird canyon too, so it's like living inside of a speaker. So it's just fucking dog uh, barking all night long, and then I'm 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 watching my friend's dog. So I got my dog, and then Jess has Fawns, and they're out of town. So it's just me and this other weird dog. It's like grumpy old men over here. Me and this old Chihuahua, uh, and then I and then once I was awake, I was I couldn't get back to sleep. I started thinking about um, that movie Hereditary. Have you seen it? Uh, I'm not going to give you any spoilers or anything like that. I won't tell you what happens. But, uh, you know, that movie, I'll tell you my take on that movie. Uh, it's great, first off. It's a fucking awesome movie. So if you if you like horror movies or whatever, or if you don't, you're going to like it no matter. It's like a really well-made, well-acted, good movie versus, you know, a lot of horror movies these days, like some of them will be like scary, but they won't be the best sort of story. Like this one, this one, I wasn't as scared watching the movie. Um, but then it's one of those ones that sits with you. So like when I woke up last night in the middle of the night, then I started seeing like images from the movie, like in the fucking room. And that was kind of freaking me out. Um, but when I was at the theater, it, it didn't actually like scare me. It doesn't have those like moments that freak you out. Like I remember I watched the, the ring, uh, the Japanese ring, uh, the original one alone in, uh, in my room in this attic kind of attic sort of situation that I lived in, in Seattle. Like I lived at the, the top of this house in a kind of like a little like a framey attic sort of situation. I was watching that fucking that back then I couldn't even, uh, I couldn't fit my bed up the stairs. I don't know if you ever had this problem, but I couldn't fit my bed up the stairs. So I, I used to sleep on like a, just a big pile of like sleeping bags and sheets and like shit like that on the floor that I just kind of built up. Cause I couldn't actually get a, an actual bed in there. I can't believe my, uh, girlfriend at the time used to put up with that. But, uh, I was watching the fucking ring in there one night, like with like the fucking, like, the lights are out and everything and I'm watching the ring, you know, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking watching this. And, uh, you know, the scene where the fucking girl comes out of the TV, it's like fucking, I'm like, I'm like in the movie, you know, and that just fucked me up forever. So last night I was just couldn't get back to bed cause the dog was still barking. I didn't want to put the, my earplugs in cause then I was afraid that the fucking hereditary people would get me. And then I didn't want to put the fan on and that to drown the sound out that way even though it was fucking hot and i was sweating because i was worried that if the noise from the fan was on that that would i wouldn't be able to see the fucking hereditary people like grabbing me you know what i'm saying anyways uh <laughs> bunch of zigzag shows coming up uh this next week june 28th we are at the agenda trade show in long beach we're playing at some 
Irish bar next door to the syndicate barbershop, I think. It's like an after party. Uh, look for it on, look for all this stuff on Instagram. Then July 15th, uh, we're at the Griffin in LA. That's a free show, uh, with this band Pushy from Portland that we, uh, uh, did a split seven inch with on that Who Can You Trust label out of, uh, Germany. Uh, and then we're going on this little tour and it's, uh, July 21st, we're in Houston. July 22nd, we're in New Orleans. July 24th, we're in Austin. July 25th, we're in San Antonio. The 26th, we're in El Paso. And then the 28th, we're in Mexicali, Mexico again at Taberna La Veron, which we played at last time. And I was really grumpy. And uh, I feel like I owe it to those people, those people, the nice people of Mexicali to go back there and put on a good show. So I'm not guaranteeing anything, but I'm saying I hope that I will fucking rock this time versus complaining about the heat and complaining about the uh lack of paved roads uh and then we're back in la we're trying to get something in arizona either on the 19th or the 27th so i don't know if you if you're listening you know l- let me know uh then we're back in la we're playing august 8th at zebulon with um fuck what's this band called blackwater holy light from portland and we're doing Echo Park Rising. We're trying to fucking record an album in the meantime. We need to find a fucking label. Uh, and then we're going back on tour again in September to play Crucial Fest in Salt Lake City with... Uh, who the fuck's playing at that? Oh, Neurosis and Pig Destroyer. Uh, that's Layla's favorite band, Pig Destroyer. And a bunch of other crazy motherfuckers. Um but yeah, uh, that's about it for right now. Um, let's talk to uh, our guest today, actually, is Nicholas Burkowski of Fell Knives. Uh, he's a knife maker. He's a kid. Uh, I can't. He says how old he is in the interview. I can't remember. But when I met him, which was like four or five years ago at the uh, Echo Park Craft Fair, which is mainly like, you know, uh, you know, it's a lot of like... Uh, it's mainly like women there as far as like there's a lot of clothes there's a lot of candles there's a lot of uh beige uh there's linens there are incense there's jewelry there are there are dudes there's like a dude that has rocks wrapped in leather um and there's another dude who has uh like um what do you call it like astrological sort of signs but then Nick this kid he had some fucking knives over there. So like I'm walking around there. I was working at the thing. I'm walking around and then I see this like dude selling knives and he's and he's there with his mom. So we've been talking and ever since then we've talked every year and he keeps getting better and he keeps making more and more insane fucking knives. And I'm like watching Forged and Fire and I'm like getting obsessed with it. And I'm like, dude, you got to do this and that. Like, do this fucking thing. So finally, uh, I just said, fuck it. Let's let's uh, let's talk and uh, let's learn about knives. So um, this is the opposite of last week's interview with John Dwyer, where we just talk shit about everybody that we know. And in this episode, we are going to learn about metallurgy, metallurgy. And here we go. Let's talk to you. Um, so <laughs> you were you were quenching like thirty one knives yesterday. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty brutal. <laughs> what was it for? Um, right now I'm working on a 60 piece steak knife set. It's 60. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely the largest order I've ever had. I've, uh, never done more than, I think I've done three piece set has been my largest custom order so far. I've made a four piece set once, but <laughs> yeah. So, so you, went from, <laughs> you went from a three piece set to a 60 piece yeah. set. I don't yeah. even understand what, why does anyone need a 60 piece knife set? Uh, so this is gonna be for, this is gonna be for a restaurant. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. That yeah. okay, that makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. So I I wish I knew the name of it, but um, that's still kind of under wraps. It's a local one. Yeah, yeah. They're um, gonna be opening. It's gonna be like Culver City ish. Yeah. What he was saying, but uh, I feel like I read there was a there was a restaurant that I saw recently in L.A. that uh, 
I think the guy actually makes his own yeah, cutlery. Yeah. Um, his name's, I think it's Adam Perry Lang. Okay, yeah, right. And yeah, he's opening a steak knife or steak steakhouse, and he, I guess he's a bladesmith too. And so right. he's making this crazy set of Damascus blades, right, to go with his steaks uh, steakhouse. I was like very intrigued by that it was kind of funny how it lined up like right as i started my set too everyone's like oh wait <laughs> but fuck dude like so the problem with that is is people stealing the knives from the restaurant yeah and it's funny i uh because the set i'm doing it's 60 pieces 30 of them are my fell knives customs and mm-hmm. then the other 30 are coming from these old sabat ta blanks that i've been working with right just, like drop forged never got finished and so i do all the grinding work heat treating and handles on those and so I was uh, talking to my supplier of those, and I was like, I'm going to need another 30 of these guys for a steak knife set I'm doing for a restaurant. And he was like, oh, what's the, what's the name of that? I'd love to go and uh, take a couple of steak knives home with me at the end of my meal. <laughs> right. <laughs> when, I, when I first met you, that was, what you were, that was what you were working with. You were working with these drop-forged uh, blanks basically exactly, right that, yeah. that and what does drop forge mean anyways I, so drop there's gonna be a lot of questions a, like yeah. this in this show because <laughs> no worries um so basically drop forging is a process sort of like forging where you bring up metal to a specific temperature like glowing red hot and then as opposed to where like hand forged you hit it with a hammer to make the shape you want by hand right the, the drop forge basically is kind of stamping it at that red hot temperature to the shape it needs. Gotcha. Like cutting it out almost. There's and it's no cutting. Basically the bar that they put in is gonna be the same size as the mold. So it's gonna be like two halves of a mold in like a crazy like I don't know how many ton hammer that's just mm-hmm. gonna smash it like multiple times over and over until that bar of steel that would kind of fit inside of it is mashed to the exact shape it needs to be. Right, right. Okay. And so and and then those those knives that you that you were using when I first met you, and where did those come from? So originally they came from uh TA France. It was I believe the uh it was called the Elephant Star Forge. It was one of the old Sabatier forges that went under. I'm not exactly sure when. It's all a bit of a conjectured story coming from my supplier I and mean, even when he tells me he's like, "Yeah, this is a little bit of a conjectured story, but basically the story is is during the wars, when all the steel drives were going on, a lot of companies that dealt with steel would not want to give up their entire stock because, you know, it would put companies out of business right. to basically fund the war efforts. So some kind of shysty companies would uh, just stash away a bunch of all, like the, all the unfinished stock and basically save it for, you know, whenever the war would finish and so they could slowly release it out without having to, like, completely start up from scratch every single time. Right. And so, long story short, basically, switch of hands in the warehouse. By the time the place went out of business, the last investor was kind of going through all of this stuff and there was this warehouse that was, like, you know, just at, like, the end of the list on, like, the properties owned by the sabatier you know that forge and it was like there was this little warehouse and he went to go see what was in it and it was just like boxes on boxes on boxes of all these unfinished blanks and he was like, uh, you know the, the, this the, is in france yeah, yeah. where in uh, france ta france okay which is t-h-i-e-r-s i believe ah, okay okay yeah i'm probably butchering i don't it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i never even heard of it but yeah um and so, yeah, so he found all these blanks. Yeah, and so he, you know, he's a, he's just an investor, and he basically he takes like all the forging equipment back to his warehouses in Mexico, and then he takes the blanks to his warehouses in Arizona, which is where my supplier lives. Okay. And so my supplier, he was a chef who uh, basically lost his job, and he was like, "Crap, I need to make some money." So he started selling all of his old vintage knives, and ended up making kind of a good amount of money on eBay doing it. Uh huh. So he became a bit of like a knife scavenger where you go to yard sales, like, do you have vintage knives? Just like everywhere and just, you know, buy them, sell them, buy them, sell them. And uh, one day he's at a yard sale and he's like, you know, harassing the people asking for knives. And these two guys that are at the sale are like, oh, you want knives, vintage knives? And he's like, they're like, you got to call this guy. And he's like, you know, they give him the number and they're like, but, you know, we can't introduce you. Like, you, you he doesn't like us at uh-huh. all, so you just gotta you just gotta get in contact with. I feel him. like I've been in this situation before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's like that awkward like 
really you can't even just right. give me the just like a little bit of a leeway and it's like honestly you probably shouldn't even mention my name because he won't want to deal with you right and so you know this guy's you know he gets the number and he's like finally after like 30 minutes of like please get me in contact it's like nope 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 and it's like all right so he's like sitting in his truck gives the guy a call and he's like hey I hear you have knives, mm -hmm. like vintage knives, like lots of them. And the guy's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. No idea. What, what, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, harassing him, heckling him for like 15 minutes on the phone. And finally the guy's like, how much money do you have with you? And he's like, well, you know, I've got a couple hundred bucks right now. And he's like, all right, meet me at this address in 15 minutes. He's like, what? 15? He's like, didn't even have any cash. He just runs to the bank, like right. really pulls out like every dollar he has goes to this random address and meets this guy and he like opens up the door to the warehouse and it's all these knives and he's just like right blown right right and, and these so, were these were the blanks though yeah yeah right. completely just unfinished and he had a few he had a few of the finished ones i think most of those ended up i was like doing a little bit of research on my own and I think some guy in Canada ended up getting those and like he was selling like thousands of those for a while. And and how did you get in touch with the this guy in Arizona that that had had the knives or that bought them? Oh, it was a weird it was a weird one. I uh started searching cuz I got into I was like basically one day sitting on my deck just making a wooden spoon and I was like I want to make a knife. <laughs> like I'm done with spoons. I'm using a knife. I love knives. Since I was a little kid, I've been collecting knives, and I, right. like, I want to make a knife. So uh, I just, you know, started googling and like looking into how to get started. And one of the options was kind of, you know, there's a lot of uh, like hunting knife blanks that are finished with a sharpened edge, and you basically just put a handle on it, uh -huh. and call it a day. Right. And so I was looking at those, but you know, I was cooking a little bit and not. I, I don't hunt. I live in LA. You know, it's just never been a part of my life. So. Um, I was just looking for kitchen knives, and it was oh, there really just weren't very many besides a couple of really expensive ones. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was going page after page on Google, and all of a sudden I saw this like listing on Etsy for six blank sabatiers. And so immediately I was like, "These are amazing! I bought yeah. them." Not Had you heard me. of this company before, Sabatier? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We had a couple. So this of, is like a well-known. Yeah, company, and we right? have a few Sabatiers that we had. I mean, we've had them for years, right. In our kitchen, and I mean, my mom's had them, but. You know, I've been using them for my whole life, and so as soon as I saw that, I was like, "Whoa, I I have to have them." Even uh -huh. though I didn't, I had no idea what I was going to do with them right. and where I was going with it. But I was like, "That's that's where I'm starting with this." And um, basically, the guy on Etsy, he had bought them from my supplier. I don't know how he met him, but um, you know, he he bought them from him. He was going to try to make them into knives, but he was because he was into resale. But he wasn't a knife maker. He had other guys doing it, and basically the price point for him to have them made and then sell them. He was like, I'm not making any right, money. The knife right. maker is going to do it all. So he just listed them again. So I bought them from him and then I was like, do you have any more, anything different? And that's where he put me in contact with the guy gotcha. in Arizona. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, okay. So I guess <laughs> then starting, we'll go, we'll go backwards then. So, so you grew up here in LA. Um, I actually was born in uh, London. Oh, okay. And uh, I lived there till I was 11, 10, basically. It was like four days before I turned 11. Mm -hmm. And then we moved here, and, and it was two months into elementary school of, say Willy Wonka, say Harry Potter. <laughs> and, you know, at first I was, Willy Wonka, Willy Wonka. And then after two months, I was like, Willy Wonka. And they're all kind of like, oh, this, this is a bit boring. Yeah. <laughs> so you lost your accent that fast. Like that. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, just blink of an eye <laughs> and what what was your what were your parents doing now that that you ended up over here um so my dad he's doing he's a photographer cinematographer he was teaching for a little bit and my mom's in wardrobe and mm -hmm. she when so, we were in england she had a kid's clothing movie store, stuff but, film industry yeah yeah so and yeah work was kind of just drying up in london a bit and so they just figured it's time to get back to LA because they've been back and forth there their whole lives. In the neighborhood you're in now, you've always lived there when you came to LA? Or? No, when we first came, we, we were in uh, on Beachwood Canyon for a little bit. Oh, okay. Which, uh, we were staying with our friends in, right. their, in the bottom of their house. Right. Um, and then from there, we moved to Silver Lake for probably like six, seven years and then sold that place and ended up in Highland Park. Right, right. Where we are now. Yeah. Or Glassell Park or whatever. Yeah. Wherever, Northeast what, LA. Whatever you want to call it or whatever. <laughs> so then, so then, so how did you start getting into the knife thing when you were a kid? Because I remember when I was a kid, I, I was always into like guns and knives and hunting and fishing and I lived in, in Eastern Washington. Um, originally Oregon, but then, then Eastern Washington. And when I was a kid, I was 
Jess and I were just up in uh, Napa this last weekend, and there was I was watching some kid fish, and I just realized how like I was like I spent like fifty thousand hours just fishing <laughs> when I was because there was there wasn't a lot to do where I lived in a small town, you know. And I remember being really into knives and and just kind of thinking like. I wanted to take the scales off of the handles off of knives and like make my own handles or whatever, you know, I never really got beyond that. But I remember having a lot of knives that I had like taken like shitty knives that I got at like a Walmart or something like that yeah, yeah, yeah. with like a rubberized grip on them that I would then like <laughs> just peel off or something and then think like, Oh, I'm going to like, you know, make some tumbled turquoise handle or whatever. But I never, of course, did yeah, anything totally. with it. But uh, where where did you get into the actual knife thing, though? So, I mean, it probably... I'm trying to think of, like, the very first turn on for knives. But, I mean, Because you posted a photo of yourself on Instagram yeah. <laughs> when you were 10 with a knife in your mouth, like a pirate style. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the first probably, like, whoa, this is what I love is... Probably when uh, the Fellowship of the Ring came out, Lord of the Rings, uh -huh. and you know it was it, every year it came out on my birthday, and so that was what I did for like a few birthdays in a row. Was like see Lord of the Rings with all my buddies on my birthday. Did you sit in line? <clears throat> stand in line? Thankfully, it was like I probably had like two days after it came out, kind right. of thing. So I like I, we usually got to skip the whole crazy. Hectic you didn't have a it. cape with it with a little <laughs> what is it like a what was, it's like a leaf that holds the cape, and you're like sleeping next no, to a dumpster. No, no, but I did. Uh, I did harass my mom to see if she had any gold rings that I could borrow, uh -huh. and there was one that she had that was. Fairly one ring reminiscent that I, I ended up having for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised she gave me it. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. A little kid with a 14 karat gold ring. Like, yeah. Probably not the best, but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was definitely, you know, it was like backyards with friends, just like hitting each other with sticks. And uh -huh. then I got into Warhammer. I'm not sure if you're familiar. It's a, a video game? No, it's a uh, little figurines. They did make Oh, like Dungeon and Dragons. It. Sort of, yeah. It's like a dice rolling. You make like a game board, and you have to like buy these little like overpriced Pewter. plastic figures. Oh, it's, yeah. yeah. Oh no, it's all plastic. And you oh, like, okay. glue them together, and then you uh, paint them. And there's like sure. adults who are like full on into it, and they make like beautiful. Yeah, they call game them in incels. I think those they're called <laughs> <laughs> involuntarily <laughs> celibate. Yeah, they drive trucks into crowds of people because they they, they don't have girlfriends. <laughs> yes, but anyways, so, yeah. Warhammer, that was like the next one for me, and then I got a little bit older, and it was World of Warcraft for probably like ten years of my teenage uh -huh. life. And uh, <laughs> so you're a dork, yeah, basically. Yeah. I yeah, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we watched Forged in Fire, like the knife making show that we'll talk about later, I mean, most of these guys are just dorks. Like, yeah, I mean, it was like it was <laughs> in the best way. <laughs> oh yeah, no, totally. I mean, it was like for me, it was like I kind of had the split off. I like you know, it was like middle school early high school i was doing the world of warcraft and then i kind of split into skateboarding uh -huh. and partying and yeah. then i was like no world of warcraft and right that whole thing kind of fell away and basically you discovered it, girls is what happened probably yeah skateboarding and girls i know yeah. it's actually that funny thing it's like every skateboarder it's like you get a girlfriend and it's like eh, i'm just gonna go skating later <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I remember that was the same in high school too it's just like Guys, like, doing tricks and then, like, girls just sitting there watching them, you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah, like, like, it was, you know. <laughs> but, um, and then, so, for from that, it was, like, you know, you skateboard, you discover pot and some mm -hmm. partying. And then, so, I started growing pot because we live in wonderful California where right. you can grow with a medical license. Mm -hmm. And from there, I got into the vegetable gardening and the cooking. And it all kind of just came full circle back into... You right. Know, it was that sitting on a deck one afternoon carving with a knife. Like I use knives all day and I I want to make a knife. Right. So then once you once you decide that you're going to make the knife though, then it's like uh I watch for instance Forged in Fire and then I watch this kid on uh I think he's like the same how old are you? You're like 21 or something like that. 23. 23. There's that kid, have you ever watched that kid Alex Steele yeah, on YouTube? Yeah. <laughs> he's like a British kid and he's He's like a f knife forging guy. He likes forging metal yeah. or whatever. But he's got this like really crazy shop. I know. I, of like I, cool like so old <laughs> old like gear. I don't know where his like he maybe his parents I'm, must I'm must have been like uh, metal workers or whatever. You know to to have that gear or whatever. But it's a it's a long you know I've I've saw the you know the Sabatier blanks that you had you know 
there's there's a it's even though it's it's already shaped like a knife you know it's it's still a st- thick piece of unsharpened steel is it already hardened it's funny some of them are some of them aren't and uh, that's been one of the really tricky learning curves is learning knives with not modern steels like so many guys are used to just perfect steel where you have a perfect formula mm-hmm. these i've been fine and one guy had one of them tested and you know but like as i've learned more i mean it was like I was, i've been doing 30 of them lately and mm-hmm. out of 30 of the exact same style four inch sabatier it's like i've found so many variations right. between hardness carbon content some of them have been hard before i start some of them are soft it's, right it's really just like Real and what mess. do you do in that in that process? Do you have to then then heat treat them to to for hardness if if you find that they're not hard? Yeah. So basically, if if when I'm doing like my initial testing, it's like a first cleanup before I do anything. Um, I'll find out if it's hard. I do my stamping and just get you know get my name in there because I have to do that when the knives are soft. Right. And so I'll find out if any of them are hard during that point. If they are hard, I'll have to anneal them, which is softening. Softening the steel. How do you do that? That is pretty simple. Basically, you just bring it up to red hot and then you cool it down very slowly. So what I do is um, I get gardening perlite, which is that white stuff in mm-hmm. your soil. Mm-hmm. It's made out of volcanic matter so it's really insulative and basically i get a bucket of that and just put my knives in that when they're red hot and it cools them down really interesting slow. so the difference between quenching and annealing quenching being that you're going to harden the steel annealing that you're going to soften the steel is basically the time that you go from red hot to cool exactly very, very quickly will harden the steel very slowly will will soften it precisely okay interesting i didn't know that um, and I, I guess we kind of got away from what I was going to ask you about the gear, but, but so, um, I guess what I'm saying is that when you get these blanks, you're, it's a long way away from making it into a, a sharp blade because you need to have these certain tools. Yeah. Now you have to build like a forge Yeah. <laughs> and you, and you need, uh, well, for instance, so like what, what are the tools that you're using to, to like, what's the process of taking a blank? From what it is, uh, just a piece of steel, and and then grinding it down to the to the blade shape, and then sharpening, and then hardening. Like, what are the things that you need to do that? So basically, I'll try to give it as quickly as possible, and feel free to keep me on track if I start. Oh, I don't care. It's a fucking podcast. We can just talk forever. (laughs) Just turn it off if you don't want to hear about this fucking dork shit. (laughs) I like it. basically so i'll start i'll grab my knife uh, a lot of them come because they're i mean literally these things were drop forged around the 20s to the 50s and they've just been sitting around these so. are a blade with a tang right yeah. it's got a, yeah. the metal hangle handle a yeah little flat piece of metal going all the way through with a few holes that i'll drill through and run the pins in gotcha um and so basically the first step is basically getting it straight because mm-hmm. usually they're just like s-shaped curved twisted all over the place and so i'll just kind of lightly tap them out on my forge or my anvil um just get them as close as possible and then from there i'll do a little bit of grinding because they're blackened from just the forging experience and then just sitting for years some of them are rusted they're just a mess and so i get them nice and clean so it's nice clean shiny steel and then from there, I'll stamp it in, just get my name, fell and the top of the blade, and then... How does that work? You have, like, a little metal stamp that you yeah. hammer it in there with? Yeah, so, and what's uh, the what's the material of the stamp made out of? The stamp is just uh, hardened steel, pretty okay. much the same as... Uh, I mean, it's called... It's 01 tool steel. It's very similar to some of the knives I make. I've done gotcha. a couple in 01 before, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the thing is, you have to stamp it when it's soft, because right. if you harden the steel, you're going to be at the same point as the stamp, and you can actually damage your stamp or break the blade. Right. Um, so that'll happen really early on in the process, and I'll get a really nice deep stamp just hammered in there on the anvil. And then from there, usually because with kitchen knives, they are so thin, um, you know, a lot of guys, when they're doing hunting knives, they'll do a lot of preliminary grinding before they heat treat because they have a lot of extra space. And, you know, they're working with, like, quarter-inch thick steel versus I'm usually working with, like, three thirty-two inch. Mm-hmm. 
So it's a lot thinner stuff. Right. Because you want to be able to slice like an apple or a tomato or something as opposed to like bash the fuck out of it. Right. 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 (laughs) Well, that's what they always say. Like as far as cutting an onion, I mean, you know, I've worked in in kitchens a lot too. And they say like, you know, one of the ways to avoid having to cry as much when you're cutting an onion is to have a sharp blade so that it, that it doesn't smash the cell walls and let the fucking onion demons out. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, basically I'll uh, do a l- very little grinding and go right into the heat treat, which is bring it into the forge. Um, I have a pretty, like, old school setup. I mean, a lot of guys nowadays, they have ovens that have specific, you know, you can have the specific temperature. Temperature gauges so on it and really, stuff. Right. You know, dial things in. But for me... It's like barbecue, it's, you know. I, I use, like, a 50-gallon... A steel drum out here that I built versus <laughs> that I that I just kind of eyeball it, you know, and I kind of massage yeah. it to the right temp versus, you know, there'll be these guys that have like the they dump in the wood pellets and then they just turn the electronic ignition to like the exact temperature they want and then it just goes in there and it stays yeah, there. Exactly. But like, what the fuck? That's not no fun, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's it definitely takes a lot of the like you know standing in front of the forge burning yeah. all the arm hairs off. Sure. And, <laughs> It's like a very, it's kind of like a, I don't know, like a visceral or, yeah. I don't know. What keeps a, you skinny though then, you know, you stay in shape that way, you know, like if you just yeah. put it, if you just turn it on and walk away and don't do anything, then what's the point of life? All right. Right. Yeah. So basically, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> goes, goes in the forge and, um, you know, I'll try to match a guy who has an oven usually the like the perfect heat treat for a simple carbon steel is, is about 10 minutes mm-hmm. at the right temperature it's called soaking it in right the, tea, the heat you need what's the for so did you build the forge so the forge yourself the forge itself is basically an oven pretty much yeah yeah pretty much and is it a gas powered one or is it charcoal my newest one i so i started my first one was called a valley forge mm-hmm. basically you dig out a little ditch like a little mini trench in your backyard right it with bricks in a v-shape right and you run like a pole that you'll drill a bunch of holes in uh, through the bottom of that right the holes facing up Mm -hmm. look throw a bunch of charcoal that's air that's air that yeah okay gotcha and you put your mom's hair dryer and you tape it right pipe and you just (laughs) let at it right okay i hope that the hair hair, like it doesn't overheat and break right which i've done (laughs) yeah overheat the pipe or the the hair dryer oh yeah 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 Yeah, i had to buy my hair dryer after my first porch (laughs) so you okay so that was the first one and then what's what's the one now uh so well i'm on my third one the second one uh i found on craigslist it was Uh my birthday my mom got me this awesome it was this dude on craigslist it was like a brake drum that was welded to some crazy crazy oh wow like a stand three like a three-piece a stand uh-huh. with a old school buffalo hand crank blower yeah like, i've oh. seen that challenge on the yeah. forged in fire where they go old school with yeah. It. yeah so i had like basically one of those guys with right charcoal and that thing was sweet but when you're cranking and you're that close because with the hair dryer it's kind of nice you turn it on you step away but mm-hmm. when, you, when you have to hand crank it and you just start getting you're right next to the heat fire yeah and, like bits of little like, you know embers that fly off i mean it was it gets pretty intense and in la during the summer it just got to a point where i was right. like i can't keep doing this right i bet yeah um so now i'm finally on a propane forge which is basically just a piece of like seven by seven structural steel like those big square pipes basically mm-hmm. hole drilled in the top of it with a little burn like a propane burner that's handmade you can find them on like youtube how to make them and sure you just weld this stuff all together. You line your tube with uh, ceramic wool and a fire brick, which are just, you know, furnace equipment, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, attach a little propane tank and you're good to go. Right, right. And so and and so when you uh, are going to quench and you need to get the blade up to the right temperature, you're, you're eyeballing this, right? You're not... There's so no way to test started... the, the, the heat of the blade, is there, or...? When I started, yeah, there's uh, magnets. When you, at least with uh, simple carbon steels, like high carbon steels, Mm -hmm. when you get up to around like 1400, they call it critical temperature, uh, the steel actually turns non-magnetic. Ah, okay. So when you're starting out, it's a really, I mean, for the first year, I pretty much every single time I was like around red glowing, I would like pull it out and make sure that it wasn't sticking to a magnet and then my quench. Right, right. At this point, I've kind of gotten to a point where i 
don't use the magnet anymore. Right. It's like usually if I like do the magnet and then lose my heat and then have to go back a couple of times. Right. So now because it like, takes that that uh, that that time that you're gonna try to put the magnet test on there, you're losing a ton of heat yeah. very quickly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, and so you want to make sure that you're at that just right heat because if it's too hot, you're end up gonna end up like kind of ruining the grain of the steel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it'll get hard, but it's going to be a lot more brittle than it should be. And right. it's one of those things where it's a lot harder to sharpen because all the grains are a lot larger. Mm-hmm. And when you have really fine grain, it's just everything's beautiful. <laughs> right, right. Um, so you can actually, you can actually, so if you heat it too hard, and then there's a scale, there's like the Rockwell hardness scale, right? Yeah. That's what it's called, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now, how do they measure the hardness of that and then also... How do you know what level of hardness you're trying to achieve? Okay, so <laughs> measuring it is basically, I mean, like the cheapest way they have things called um, like Rockwell files. Mm-hmm. Files are hardened steel, and so they'll specifically harden it to a you know a specific Rockwell. Mm-hmm. But they're not really the, oh, the most, file. Yeah, the file itself. So basically, right. you'll scrape the file against the steel, and when it stops digging into the steel, you know pretty much where your hardness is at. Got it. But that's a very vague, not... Not perfect, yeah. yeah. Not perfect. So there's like a much... You just know if it's hard or not. You don't know like what level Precisely. Right. And you can get close to like, you know, within like a few points of what you're at, but not really. Right. (laughs) And so much better is a Rockwell tester, which is basically just a like just a pressure gauge thing you you roll it down onto your steel you have your steel on a plate you push the little pin down onto the steel and basically it'll just has a little lever and it just gauges and you push it in and i think when you take it away the scale goes up to the number that right you're meant to be on or so when you're making all these knives for a restaurant like you're making steak knives are you are you concerned with them all being like the exact same hardness are you are you more concerned with them being functional um, or mainly, both. mainly functional. Yeah. I mean, realistically, one because they're a piece of art. Like it's not, it's not like, and you're cutting a steak. It's not like a, it's going to be used for like an industrial. Yeah. Sort of. Uh, I mean, one thing is, is like you know, I want hard steel. I'm sure. not, you know, it's like it's a big thing. It's like I'm not like, with that. It's you know, functionality with the fact that you're not going to have to sharpen it every single time it's used. Right. Right. Um, Edge retention, we call that in the business. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so, you know, a lot of, I mean, most of the makers I, I'm in contact with, it's like, we don't have Rockwell testers because they're right. pretty expensive things. Right. And so we go with what's called projected hardwell, or hardness, and we gauge that because we all have uh, schedules on how to heat treat. And uh-huh. you can basically find out at this temperature with this quench and this tempering, you're going to end up at this hardness with this kind of steel. Right. And so we're able to follow a schedule, and as long as we keep things on point, we're going to be within, you know, one or two points of that on the scale. Right. And, uh, I mean, one thing I do with my knives is, like, a lot of testing before they're finished and polished, so file them to crap, make sure like that nothing dents into them. And then usually it's a series of like, I'll bring them to a point and then just wail on them. Right. Maybe like put it against a penny and hammer through the penny, make sure that the edge doesn't curl over. Right. I mean, really just go to town because I know where the steels can get to. And if it's not getting there, then just put it back in the forge, reheat, treat it, retemper it and right. get it right. Because so when you're quenching it, you're basically taking the, the glowing hot knife out of the forge. You're dunking it in oil, right? Exactly. Because What kind of oil? Um, I'm using right now a mixture of, it's called, I can't actually remember the exact name of it. It's a seven-second quench oil. It's mm-hmm. like a specific it's Specifically quenching. for this. Yeah, it's right. basically a motor oil. Different motor oils have different quenching speeds, and companies basically package motor oil at different right. for different quenching. Gotcha. I had a buddy who gave me a few gallons, but it wasn't quite enough to fill my tank, so the rest of it's topped up with just canola oil, Mm -hmm. Um, because it's just a nice, it's a fast quenching one, it's not too thick, and it's clean, so. Now, when, so you're going to quench it, but then what, what is the process of tempering the steel once it's quenched? Tempering, uh, I, you either get like a little toaster oven, or you get a professional oven, or you have your mom's oven, which... Mm -hmm. Once again, <laughs> thanks, mom. Sorry, but uh, I think most of the guys in that are on the Fortune Fire show they have to 
go upstairs from their mom's basement to use the oven. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm out in the garage. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm stuffed into the driveway. You're on the same, at least you're on the same floor. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure if we had a basement. <laughs> yeah. You'd be down there with the Warhammer figures. Right. Uh, uh, but so anyway, so the tempering and then it's, so what happens with the tempering then? <laughs> <laughs> hey man, this got goodwilled a few years back. <laughs> um, oh, that's so, all right. Yeah. What was that? Telephone. Oh, okay, got it. Um, tempering. So basically, for me, because I'm doing kitchen knives, I like things to be really hard. Yeah, it shouldn't be abused too much. With the steak knives specifically, I'm going to bring them a little softer than I usually do, mm -hmm. just because there's plenty of chance for people to drop them. They're going right. to be getting cut on plates, right? And so it's. It's good. You got to think know. about all these, these like the usage of the steel, yeah, you know. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So they're going to be subject to a bit more abuse than like one of my really high end, high end kitchen knives that like, you know, you kind of treat them. And they're going to be cutting onto like wood and, you know, they're going to be used to just like break down meat and probably not like someone smacking it against like a bone or something or as opposed to like a camp knife where you want to be able to. Uh, break down like a tree or something yeah, like that exactly. or, or baton woods for a fire and then also be able to cut through like precisely cut yeah. a deer's head off or something. <laughs> splitting hogs you know yeah. that, that kind of stuff like a ted nugent style yeah situation so, um with with my tempering basically it's like i know i know the numbers i need from my schedule for the steels i need and the other part is you kind of just gauge it on color because mm -hmm. uh at the first stage, it kind of goes like a little straw, brownish color, kind of goldy. You're just basically bringing it up to temp slowly in an oven. Is that what yeah. you're doing? Okay. Yeah. And yeah. So I'll do two cycles, two hours. Um, I don't know why it's two cycles. They just say it's the best way to do it. So uh -huh. bring it in once and then, you know. So that's 120 hours. I guess, well, you're, are, you, are you tempering the steak knives or no? You don't have to do that. You're just quenching. Oh, they're, they're all tempered. Okay. So, yeah. so then that's 120 hours worth of tempering. Thankfully... Thankfully, they're all going in. Uh, oh, at the same doing time, it, doing it in two batches. Gotcha. That's how yeah, I can that only fit sense. that. I can fit fifteen in at once, basically, right. without having too close. Blah 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 blah. And you need to have them. I don't have the best oven, so certain pot. I've found certain parts get a lot hotter than others. So I can only really use certain sections of the oven, and so it's become a little bit of a mad science right. on how to get it dialed in at my place. I'm, I do the same thing with uh, with muffins. Yeah. <laughs> Move on. Halfway through, I'd switch the muffin tins around. Yeah, you got And then <laughs> that way they cook more evenly. Gluten-free, too, by the way. Uh, you know, Jess said they were too sweet the last time, though, so I don't fucking know what I'm doing. Um, so moving from, like, these, these Sabatier blanks and, and sort of, you know, for the for the steak knives when like w at what point did you start forging your own sort of knives out of out of like billets or or what were you using like uh, railroad ties or just so, any sort of hardenable steel right you can forge a knife out of it yeah and it's funny i mean most guys it's like you know you look up on the internet like what should i start making knives with and everyone's like railroad ties uh -huh. railroad that's why i said that yeah i don't know why like, i said that leaf spring so yeah leaf spring and i'm like okay cool and i'm like start looking up where can i find leaf spring and railroad spikes in la and it's like dude the metal guys are gonna beat you to that by a million years oh you mean like the scrap guys yeah you're yeah not, and it's you're, you're gonna have a really hard time finding it and it's like any good parts are gonna be at places where you're gonna have to pay a fair price right. to get as parts you know it's like you're not really finding good stuff as scrap anymore right because la it's expensive. I mean, there's you know it's you're in a city every and it's got a million eating. usage too exactly yeah so it was funny, you know, it's like I, I didn't know where to start. And that's why the Sabatiers, I actually ended up working with them for so long to get so really comfortable with them before I did, you know, just I bit the bullet and just went online and was like knife making steel. And I just uh, I found, thankfully, they're in uh, Ontario, California, so not too far, right. about an hour drive on a good day. And uh, it's a knife making supply store. Oh, um, cool. True Grit Abrasives. Oh, awesome. Shout out to them. They're yeah. awesome. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up. That's going yeah, to go out there great. next time I'm out there that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, and so I'll go just go there directly and like they're really cool guys and they'll just, you know, it's the warehouse and they ship all around the world. They're dealing with like half of the guys that I'm like looking up to. And it's kind of cool because they heat treat for a lot of these guys too. So you go by and sometimes you'll actually get to see like, you know, like for example, there's one guy, Grocer Cutlery, who I'm really into. And, uh, 
last time I was there, they had like a batch of his plates that they just heat treated. So I was like, oh, nice. I'm like getting to kind of like get a sneak peek at these sure. other dudes' knives. They do the heat treating for other people there. Yeah, they have. Yeah, uh, yeah they because a lot of guys when you're getting into crazy, you know, weird stainless steels, it gets pretty confusing. It's not just make it hot, stick, stick it in oil. It's like right. Versus have, like a high carbon steel sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. yeah. So it's like you have like, you know, the super, they're called super steels. Mm-hmm. They're like stainless, high carbon, Damascus, like all three in one kind of thing. Right. And you literally, I mean, to, to harden those things, it's like you need thousands of dollars of equipment. Right. And you also need to be like meticulously... Like you have to be on top of that stuff. And so a lot of guys, when they get into that kind of equip like material, mm-hmm. they just send it out to keep it easy. Well, because, cause, cause people want now they want like a high carbon steel, but they also want something that is stainless and sort of corrosion resistant. Right. Yeah. And so that's when you get into these super steels, like these Maximets and things like that, that have like, or things that have like nitrogen in them versus carbon and yeah, just and the, all this crazy, yeah. crazy stuff. You need like <clears throat> molten sand baths to deal with them. It's like, oh, right. come on, man. Right. <laughs> like I, I like standing in front of a fire and just you know, it's like sticking it in the oil. You get your big flash of flame. <laughs> totally. I mean, it looks cool on forging fire. What, <laughs> like so, when you were when you were for like, what was the first knife that you made that was not a drop forged blank, but versus like an actual piece Let's of see. steel that you that you beat into a blade or whatever that was made out of an old nickels file that i had accidentally broken um so basically i I didn't know what a file card was which is basically a little thing used to clean out your files when you gunk them up had no idea what that was so i just smacked my files on a table ah okay yeah right one day one of my files broke in half and i was like well you're turning into my first forged knife right right and so um it was I mean, I was like a few hours of foraging and then it turned into like probably like a one and a half, two inch little tiny knife that uh-huh. after I finished grinding it, it was like a one inch knife. Uh-huh. It was like the tiniest oyster shuck looking thing in the world. But, right. you know, it was pretty. I, you know, I put a nice handle on it. I polished it up nicely. So it was, it was cool. But yeah, it was. <laughs> so then besides the forge, you need uh you need what I've seen guys using on these shows and stuff and not everybody has them and not, I guess you don't need it, but what seems to be helpful as far as drawing steel out, like taking a big thick piece of steel that's brought up to temperature and then you want to basically smush it out, draw it out thinner. Uh, they'll use like a power hammer. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wish I had one of those. You don't things. have one of those. Hell no. I have my, they, my I mean, they gotta be super expensive to, <laughs> To get one. Yeah, right? I mean, unless, I mean, there's those lovely stories where it's like, oh, yeah, there was this old guy next door who well, had sure. a power hammer and sure, gave sure. one. But, uh, yeah, you're looking at, like, minimum three grand for, if you want to get one. Right. Um, you know, minus the shipping and right. a lot of times those three grand ones need repairs and sure. It's so, so, but, so instead you're, you're just hammering it out. Yeah. All by hand. I do have one buddy out in Santa Ana and he's got a better shop. He's got a little hydraulic, pre- hydraulic press mm-hmm. and uh power hammer, a little mm-hmm. 25 pound one. Right. It's called little giant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I've used that a couple of times when I've been forging out some like from much thicker stock. But, right. Uh, but besides that, yeah, just just, just my little away anvil and my hammer, <laughs> right? And then and then when you want to then when you want to uh, grind it down, are you using like a belt sander for that? Yeah. So uh, thank God, I my first six knives, the ones that I was when I told you I found the ones on Etsy, mm-hmm. from that first guy, I uh, I hand filed those ones with a little. It's called a filing jig. That you look it up on YouTube, you'll find plenty of guys showing you how to make it. But uh, basically, that was the first six knives I did with that, and you know I made them and spent forever on it. I had a little like just sixty dollar belt sander thing that I got off Craigslist that like barely worked because mm-hmm. the belts were so loose mm-hmm. that everything like you put any pressure on it and it would stop. Right. <laughs> so it was like a little mixture of filing, hand sanding, and all that stuff with my little backyard forge. And uh, I sent a picture to my grandpa, and he was like, "Whoa! Like, how did you make these?" And I told him like, "Oh, I filed them over the past three weeks and <laughs> sanded them for three days and did this and blah blah blah." And he's like, "Isn't there like an easier way you could do that?" And I'm like. Well, yeah, an angle or a belt grinder, but right. I don't have, you know, $800 to get one. Uh-huh. And so, thank God, it was, like, right around my birthday. And so, he was, you know, he's 
he's my grandpa, so he's always like, I'll invest in you. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I was like, you, can't you need just... those investors. You know, I, I had a, when I was first like playing guitar, uh, you know, my mom, I, I basically like sat in my room, kind of similar to what you were doing, and just played like guitar, not knowing what I was doing for like every day, a month on end, and didn't even realize. I don't know if you play guitar, but. A little bit, not so much anymore. I didn't realize, I'd never taken lessons and I didn't know anyone that played guitar, so I didn't realize that you actually had to push the strings down. <laughs> so I was just laying my fingers on the strings and just making this like terrible plinking <laughs> clink, sound. Clink, 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 yeah. clink, clink. And after three months of that, my mom was like, well, we have to like get you a lesson or get you like a guitar amp or whatever, but like just like unplugged electric guitar just being plinked in your room all day long every day for months on so you need these investors in your life you know and exactly. luckily we're lucky enough to have them so yeah think yeah no yeah. i mean i, I tell it and it's like so he bought you a belt grinder yeah yeah he got me on my first belt grinder which was amazing it's a two by 72 it's called the oregon blade maker which mm -hmm. they've now changed the name to origin blade maker okay sounds sounds very similar right the people <laughs> like, in oregon got upset <laughs> the liberals up there they don't want any uh any weapons right and even though all like, the or, all though the guys portland in portland is like one of the like <laughs> knife making meccas in america apparently. sure yeah oh yeah well that's where like uh benchmade's well benchmade's made in oregon and then you got like columbia river knife and tool and some of these guys at oregon you know but yeah. uh, it's you know it's for it's for uh, carving tofu though, so that's why. <laughs> I don't. That's a terrible joke. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, keep going. Tell me more. <laughs> Shit, where was I? I don't know. Belt grinder. You're on the belt. Oh, yeah, you're belt on the grinder. origin belt grinder. The origin belt grinder that used to be from Oregon. Right. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I've been using, and um, that thing is just. I mean, it's a monster. That's awesome. It's, it eats steel for breakfast that's great dinner. <laughs> yeah awesome i love it i want to see it sometime yeah totally so then okay so basically to to make a knife then out of a take a to take a piece of steel a hardenable piece of steel you really you need a forge and then you need a hammer and an anvil obviously and then probably you probably need the belt grinder just to grinder is going to make yeah your life a lot easier right and now and they use the belt grinder to put the edge on the knife as well yeah or well the final edge no i'll do okay. that i do that all in whetstones okay um unless but you'll shape the edge on the grinder i'll bring so the main like the all the bevels right so like you know you have your big long tall point coming down before the little tiny point at the end mm -hmm. i mean sometimes you just have one main bevel that goes straight to the point mm -hmm. More Japanese. -y. I've done a couple, but not so often. Right. But um, basically, the grinder. I'll usually what I do. It's called a zero grind. So I'll grind literally until the bevel meets nothing. And usually, my test before I sharpen things is like it should be able to cut things pretty nicely. Mm -hmm. Like I'll cut through a few potatoes and make sure it slides through without be like you know having to hack and saw basically. Right. Um, and so that's usually where, you know, when I'm getting to the point where I'm going to start polishing the blade off and right. then for wet stoning it from there, it's real easy because it's at such a fine point. I mean, How do you get the angle in the, into the, into the edge though? I uh, just, you kind of just, but you eyeball it. You, you eyeball it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, you know, like a lot of the guys, like all the CNC and all the crazy, there's, you know, fancy jigs with perfect sure. angles and this and that. But realistically, the like, you know, specific, you know, 15 degrees, 40 sure. degrees. Yeah, I mean, a lot of guys will probably ream me for saying this and a lot of other guys will completely agree with me. But it's it's a huge argument of like, does it really matter? Right. <laughs> It's I like mean, if it's, it's, like, it's either fucking sharp or it's not, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like I've taken one of my sharpened knives and with my girlfriend's hair, and she's got beautiful, thick, black, lovely hair, and I've split one of her hairs five times in a row. So you take and like split it in half, and then take that half, split it, take that half, split it. Take oh my that god, half, I want her it. hair. Jesus Christ, that sounds <laughs> amazing. I've been able to do mine twice. I've got really, you can't see, it's really thin, thin, thin. You got good hair. hair. You have good hair. Uh, thin. It's fine. So is mine. Uh, but I'm older than you, so I have a reason why. Uh, but um, uh, what was I going to say? So yeah, I mean, we're again, we're talking about like what you're doing is custom knife making. So it's it's, it's still in that kind of, I don't want, it's, I, I don't like to use the word art for anything. I don't like to use it for like other than like paintings or whatever, but like, cause like a, a, a knife is a knife and a yeah. song is a song and a guitar is a guitar. It's not a piece of art. It's not the fucking Mona Lisa or something like that. But 
it's more it's more important for it to be functional and cool as opposed to like fall in these like specific scientific parameters right yeah 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 i mean i'm i'm not one for science or math i mean i got out of high school on geometry i did two years and that was the bare minimum and i was like cool i'm done right didn't go to college it's (laughs) it's not my forte so for me it was definitely from i mean i've been i've always been drawing painting i did a little bit of ceramics i've been a photographer a skateboarder filmed a little bit i always been into the just visual stuff and right using my hands and when i got into knife making a big part of that wasn't like uh, you know there's a lot of guys who are really precise and it's all about like measurements and this and that and that freaked me out and i was mm-hmm. like looking for all the guys who were doing it as primitively as they possibly could so right i could just you know do it and find you know and it was unrealistically the first few knives i did the geometry was so bad that they were really not very good knives in the kitchen you know mm-hmm. they're sharp and they could cut things a good utility knife belt knife but right i made them as kitchen knives and in the kitchen they you know they would make you cry if you cut an onion basically right, right. and so uh one thing i've learned is just the feel for what a good knife is and it's like gotten to a point where it's like i can you know slice through tomatoes without having my hand on the tomato on the cutting board and it's right. like you don't need to have well, it's like anything else it's just the experience of doing it you know it's like it, it you get to some point of you know you can't really explain it yeah. to anyone other than you know if you, just, you do it <laughs> yeah other people that do it are just that you've spent enough time where you can naturally feel it you know or you naturally know it without having to think about it but it's also at the same time it's like you can't really explain like you you can't look at it and tell me what the exact temperature is all you can tell me is that it's the temperature that you need it to be right yeah you know? basically yeah and where did like except for tempering that's the one place i got numbers for you gotcha gotcha because <laughs> that's getting kind of more specific with i mean i just the, i've got an oven so i can right. i can put the number well on i'll tell you what though your fucking <laughs> oven's not as accurate no a- oven's true. as accurate it's as true. as you it's want it to be true. either so an oven, uh, oven thermometer for throw them in there like go to years, uh, but, uh, home yeah. depot or something i've done the same thing i mean just for like my again my gluten-free muffins uh that i'm sending to oregon uh <laughs> that you have to put a little thermometer in there and what the thermometer says on the outside of the oven is very different than what the thermometer on the inside of the oven will say to you yeah. you know a lot of times and so and so you're making right now you're doing like custom knives that's the yeah. that's the that's the the main thing is there is there a specific type of steel that you like to work with the most um i've been really partial to it's called 1095 high carbon steel yeah and i see a lot of knives made out of 1095 like a lot of camp knives, like uh, survivalist knives, and yeah. and a lot. I mean, I think when you watch an episode of like Forged in Fire or something like that, where they where they'll be like, "Here's a 10.95 billet." I think most people are like, uh, most contestants on the show or whatever are most are probably stoked when they see that, just because Ooh, that's yeah. probably the the sort of the gold standard as far as like knife making, as far as uh ease of, i don't know i don't know how as easy it is ease, but okay yeah. i yeah. mean it's it's actually kind of a weird one i mean one of the reasons 1095 is so popular is mostly just cuz it is so readily available for right. every single metal supplier ever i mean everyone carries 1095 gotcha honestly i would probably personally work with like a 1070 or a 1080 which basically 10 i can't I can't remember what the 10 is, but the 70, the 80, and the 95, all those numbers, it's basically put a decimal before that, and that's going to be your carbon content. Okay. So it's 0.95 or 0.8 or 0.7 carbon content. So it's a high carbon. Yeah. And so basically, the higher you go, the higher the carbon content, and essentially, the higher you can get on the Rockwell scale. Right. One thing I found is 1080 is going to take you way, you know, you're far far you plenty hard enough and you're going to be able to get all of the effects basically when you have really high carbon you're able to do what's called a honyaki quench Mm -hmm. you can put clay on the blade and when you quench it you get the beautiful homone line right it's it's just a cool looking thing right (laughs) just a smoky kind of ridge that rides through the blade and uh it also gives you a soft spine and a hardened edge, which is great for resilience in the blade. Uh-huh. And just, you know, it can take a little bit more of a beating. Basically. Yeah, it keeps it from uh, being as brittle, maybe. Yeah. 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 And, and and then is there different steels that can actually get sharper, too, than others? Yeah. Um, so basically, with, uh, with your hardness and with your carbon contents and basically, honestly, with all your different alloys, they're... Uh, 
it's it's molecule molecules in the steel and so the quench is really just transforming molecules from one state into another state and you're trying to get these molecules as tightly packed as possible and mm -hmm. this one guy who's like 20 year metallurgist who does like the consulting for the heat treating for like a metal company he's like really metal nerd mm -hmm. but he has a great analogy for like all the molecules in steel and he's like you know like this one's gonna be your bouncer this is all the guys getting crazy drunk that are just like unable to like keep their cool this is this one and basically he's like <laughs> you know when you quench it it's this guy it's like it's like the martin site is your bouncer and it's like it's telling everyone to sit the fuck down right and get as tightly you know it's just like everyone it's i was like this is great i wish i could remember it better because i totally butchered it right now but uh, i get what you're saying yeah yeah so basically you're just you're forcing these molecules into a really tight 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 state and depending on what you've done sometimes the molecules react slightly differently and for better or for worse um but yeah it's <laughs> I forget where I was going with this. The analogy threw me off. <laughs> I don't know either. Uh, I'm just, I'm just like, listen. Oh, you know what I was asking? I was like, I'm just like fascinated, but I don't know what, I don't know why I'm fascinated. This, happens. this is what I was saying. Keep me on track. I'm, I'm keeping you on track. So what I was asking you was that there are different steels that can actually get sharper yes. than okay. a different type of steel. Perfect. Yeah. So yeah, with that, you have different bouncers. Some are better than others. <laughs> right. And some of the members at the party are drunker than others. Basically, you're saying to get the get the molecules closer together, yeah. the, the, the steel that has closest molecules will be able to be sharpened yeah. easier or because higher. Basically, you know, you have less to work through to get to, like, each grain. Right. It's, it's all very confusing. And think of it as, like, a, te like a toothy edge. If you have right. more molecules on your edge, it's more toothy and sharp and going to be easier to get to that fine point and it's going to be able to get to like an even cleaner cleaner finer point because it has more molecules resting on it right and you know it won't like chip out because the large grain and it's like you know one large grain on a really fine edge will just it'll blow out at a point and you can only really sharpen it to a certain point before the grain just kind of gives up right and where did and and so f finishing up here kind of where did like where did you come up with the name fell what does that represent fell to fell a tree okay to, to cut down i thought maybe um, it was like a family name or something yeah like that. no it was uh i was honestly i was just talking with a buddy one day and i was like coming up with names and i had like just this long list of just the worst names like, sure like band, band names pretty much yeah i mean like so there's a couple of like okay ones but i was just like when i was thinking of that made <laughs> i was thinking about this question earlier i was like writing down a list of questions for you and then i was thinking about the name of this podcast jed bangers ball and i was just like <laughs> it's so dumb but now that i'm like 40 episodes in i just like i don't care anymore but then i was just like god it's so fucking dumb like it's so silly you know but then, then it, it, you get to the point though where you don't care but at least fell is like inoffensive to anyone including yourself which is the most yeah, important that, person and that was the toughest part was, was like yeah every name i came up with after like three days with it i was like Fuck, warhammer knives was already taken <laughs> <laughs> and I can't, i'm trying to remember if i can remember any of them right now i want to know i want to know what the i know i have a list somewhere at home i, I want to know right? what the what the names were that didn't make the cut I'll I'll probably have to write those to you because I'm actually like really trying to. You're talking to a stoner, so those are <laughs> those are gone in the wind. But um, basically, it was like after a couple of days of sitting with any of them, I was just like sure. cringing and over it. And yeah, yeah. My buddy was like, "How about fell like to cut a tree down?" And I was like, "Dude, I love you. Thank you." And yeah. It was like it just immediately the second he said it, I was like, "I love it. That's perfect. I'm never gonna hate it." And you're getting you're getting your the wood and stuff for your handles from another one of your friends that's in town too, right? I have a yeah. I've got a few guys. I mean, so for my like just like straight wood, I because I I mean, if you see my work, I do like some pretty crazy. It's called hybrid wood handles, and they have like a, like resin cast with the yeah. wood and dyed wood, blah blah blah. That stuff I get from a guy up north in okay. the area. Uh, poor Caso or Deranged Donkey on Instagram. Check him out. He's got some crazy stuff. Deranged Donkey. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of guys that should have thought of a different name. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, man. <laughs> um, and then the other dude is uh, Greenberg Woods. Yeah, and, that's uh, the guy I was looking at on Instagram. Yeah, he's, he's like a he's, local uh, kid, right? He's in Culver City. He's like basically. 21 years old too. Yeah, he's he's like my age, 23, 24, and yeah, he's back and forth. He goes to school up north, but uh, gotcha. He's back and forth. I'm actually going to be stopping by his place on thursday getting some more wood cool myself further into trouble with money <laughs> yeah yeah well i just it's it's interesting you know it's like it's one of the things about the internet it's you know it's it's just like this new technology but now going back in time 
to doing something that's an ancient sort of art form, you know, like fucking, you know, one of these guys like uh, Sir Lancelot's like cutting some fucking dude up. Right. <laughs> I, I got to tell you real quick about this place. So tell me. It's uh, Metal Palooza. Oh, no. Metal Palooza. Yeah. I don't want to know about it's, Metal Palooza. This place in How Burbank many kilts, called... utility kilts are they wearing? In... Amazingly, I was actually really surprised. I thought I was walking into Piratesville. Crocs. And like, but it was so was... much deep fried desserts. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hosted a place called The Sword in the Stone, oh, which no. is it's a forge in Burbank by oh, this guy God. who does like 90% of Hollywood sword props. That's cool. Yeah. Pretty fucking sweet. And I know. So I was there over the The weekend. end result is cool. It's yeah. Just, you just but, don't want to get stuck in a bar with any of these guys. Yeah. I mean, there was a. They had, a, they had the minotaur wearing, like minotaur mask wearing belly dancer. End of story. End of story. <laughs> oh man, that is brutal. So what happened? Is that is that the story you're telling? That's the story you're telling. That's the story. Is like is there's a minotaur. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the. <laughs> no, but that, that's getting into the like the Instagram thing. It was like sure. I went there not really knowing. Can, you who can was get into like there. a real k hole of like yeah. nerddom if you go but, down these, um, but. But I, I I was there and there was this guy demonstrating making hammers and I'm like wait you're John from Guildworks and I've been talking back and forth with this guy for like a year about maybe right. getting a hammer and now I met him and saw him make a hammer so I put a custom order in that day and it was awesome. just you know one of those weird social media things it's a hammer for you to use to b- yeah, build blacksmithing hammer. right right yeah right. two hundred and fifty dollar hammer wow that's yeah. cool <laughs> and then so you're doing the custom stuff now and then have you thought about it like. Is the goal to sort of do this as a career or is the goal to do this as an art or is it, a, you know, like, have you thought ever about like licensing the knives out to, or you're not there yet? Or I, I would never do that. That's yeah. for sure. I mean, okay. I'm always going to keep it in house with me right. and, you know, a team of my people that I'm training. But, right. But I always want to keep things in house. I mean, I don't even like sending things out for heat treats. Right. I've almost done it once because i had one guy who was like desperate for stainless steel but then when he found the price of the steel that he was asking for he was like eh, i can't afford it okay so, gotcha didn't even do that but right. um so then yeah, what's I the plan I'm, then i mean i want to do it you know i mean career is a big word as far as you know it's not solely i like diverse incomes i mean i've always wanted to have a bit of a farm and just you know sell some food or mm-hmm. meat or whatever it is that i can do easily without you know <laughs> i like permaculture which is like farming without the 24 7 farming life mm-hmm. you kind of set things up to take care of themselves a little bit more it's very sustainable um so i've always been you know it's just i don't know i want to basically settle down make a bunch of knives do a bunch of gardening and you're 23 years old maybe settle down (laughs) host people at the farm (laughs) yeah i'm crazy well maybe i mean maybe not uh, easier yeah you have a farm and a and a a farm and like a blacksmithing shop that like that also people could come to or something like that definitely want to teach you know i want to teach both gardening like permaculture and blacksmithing and you know, I just live a more mellow life. I mean, I've lived in London, I've lived in Los Angeles, and sure. it's always been very crazy and rat racy. And I kind of, you know, yearn for a, you know, slow, slow mornings. Yeah. So where can we find you? Fellknives dot com. Fellknives dot com. Yeah. yeah. All or right. Fellknives on Instagram. Or, At Fellknives. Yeah. Yeah. I'll post all that stuff up. But yeah, if you're listening and you want to check it out, go to Fellknives dot com. There's a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of knives up there for sale that are all like custom blade shapes and steels and <laughs> handles and, and it's pretty cool to look at and uh yeah keep I don't me know. fed please yeah for sure keep them fed uh but yeah man i, I think that's good awesome all right thank you Pleasure. all right <laughs>